Greetings from Quail Lakes Baptist Church in Stockton, California. Thank you for your interest in our downloadable messages. Our more recent teachings, such as Pastor Mark's current sermon series, are always available on iTunes. However, for a more comprehensive offering of Quail's Bible-based teachings from Pastor Mark and others, we offer an extensive archive of downloadable sermon MP3s on our website, as well as information on our fellowship and our ministries. Please visit us online at www.qlbc.org. These messages are also available on CD or cassette. For more information, please call our church office at 209-951-7380. We trust you will be blessed and edified by what you are about to hear. Thank you for listening. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Proverbs chapter 6. That's where we are today, Proverbs 6. We're in a series called The Way of Wisdom, and today we're going to see that God, God's wisdom applies to everyday life, literally everyday life, as we look at the wisdom of work. Here's the key concept. There is wisdom in diligent labor. Wisdom in diligent labor. How do you greet the morning Monday morning? Do you greet the morning with Good morning, Lord, or good Lord, it's morning. (laughs) The way that we approach our workday, the way that we approach our labor is part of what God cares about in the way that we live. I want to show you a brief video, see if you remember who these guys are. Let's watch together. There they are, the seven dwarves. They are our culture's example of joyful, diligent laborers, whistling their way to work and back home again. They understand what we're going to learn today from the book of Proverbs, that work is not a curse, despite what, we might, what might come to our mind when our clock goes off on Monday morning. God has designed us to work. But sometimes... We act as if it is a curse. 2018, Washington Post had an article about the excuses that people give for coming late to work. They ranked the the most often uh, shared excuse and down the line. Nothing surprising there, but then they also kind of shared some of the more exotic excuses. Well, the, the most popular excuse for coming to work late was traffic. Nothing surprising about that. The second most popular one was oversleeping. And the third most popular one was bad weather. Those three most people use to give excuses for coming late to work. But like I said, there were some exotic excuses. One was this, I was technically here on time, but I fell back to sleep in my car in the parking lot. Here's another one, my fake eyelashes got stuck together and I couldn't see to drive. Or this one, I had morning sickness. Now you think, well, that's not that exotic of an excuse, except it came from a guy. (laughs) 
We act as if work is a curse. But listen to Genesis 2.15. The Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. Work is part of God's design. Work is part of God's creation. The image of God in you partly is your ability to work because God is a worker. And you are more fully human if you work as well. We need to build that into our children and into our grandchildren, an ethic that values labor and sees the good that labor does. I was at a gathering not too long ago, uh, and some of the folks from the church were, were there, and one man was telling me about his work. I had no idea what he did for a living, really, up until that point. But he talked to me about how his company makes specific machinery, and this machinery is used in all kinds of ways around the world in industry. He told me about those uses, and, and for the first time, I got a glimpse of his work through his eyes, and it dawned on me, this man loves his work, and he loves the impact that his work is having, and so should we all. In Proverbs chapter 6, we get both a positive and a negative example of attitude towards work. So let's read that. Starting in verse 6, Solomon says this. Go to the ant, you sluggard, consider its ways, and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a bandit, scarcity like an armed man. Now, we mentioned this person, the sluggard, last week. In fact, this is a character that shows up on and on throughout the book of Proverbs, the negative example of a sinfully lazy person. Don't be that. I was once sitting in a waiting room, and in the waiting room, I was alone except for a woman off to my left who was on her cell phone. And a couple with a little baby walked into this waiting room, and they just happened to take a seat like right across from me. I, I, I wasn't trying to eavesdrop on their conversation, but I couldn't help but hear, okay? And they came and they sat down right across from me, and they started to talk. And, and this is the conversation that they had. The wife pointed to a guard who was sitting behind a desk next to the door of the waiting room. And here's what she said. She said, to her husband, you should get a job like that. See, he just sits there. I don't think he does anything. What a great job. I said, what? What a great job. I don't think he does anything. That's, that's, uh, I don't know. I've never seen these people before or after, so sorry if you're here. I don't <laughs> think you are, but... I mean, that's the sluggard's definition of a great job. I don't have to do anything. It only would be better if I didn't have to show up at all, you know? That's the ultimately lazy person, always making excuses, always pushing things away. How long are you going to lie there, Solomon says? The sluggard's not going to commit to anything and has a reason not to get involved in anything. Proverbs twenty-two thirteen says this, the sluggard says, there is a lion outside. I'll be murdered in the streets. I certainly can't go to work today, right? 
The sluggard is too lazy to see things through, Proverbs 26, 15. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. He is too lazy to bring it back to his mouth. Really, too lazy to eat. How lazy is that? The message is, don't be the sluggard. Don't be that kind of person. It's interesting to realize the way that the ancient cultures at this time, the first century, related to labor. You see, the Greeks thought that labor was a demeaning thing. Labor with your hands degraded the human being. Homer wrote that it was invented by the gods to punish mankind. Go over to the, Greek, uh, to the Roman culture. The Romans, a third of their population were slaves. And so manual labor was pushed down to them pretty much and the lower classes of society. But it was extremely different for the Hebrew. Because, you see, the, the Hebrew had the Hebrew Scriptures, our Old Testament, and they saw from reading the same text that we do that God is a worker and that part of the image of God in human beings is being a worker like He is. He works creating and sustaining the world. And so we work as a part of honoring Him. Jesus grew up in that tradition. And so when Jesus tells us to pray, give us this day our, our daily bread, we are meant to understand that what he's really saying is when God answers that prayer, he's going to enable you to work to earn your daily bread. That's the call in our life. But a lazy person, the sluggard, Solomon says, doesn't bother with that. Now, I think that when you think about it, a lazy person is not saying to themselves, you know, I love being lazy. I love just doing nothing and having all day to do it. I love just idleness. I don't think that's exactly what they're saying or thinking. I think it goes along this line. Thinking is someday things will be different. Someday I'll feel like getting up. Someday I'll not want to waste so much time doing nothing. Someday I'm not going to watch TV and play video games all night so I can't get up in the morning. I'll be able to get up and go to work. I'll get my assignments in on time. It's just going to all come together someday. In other words, it's a philosophy of life based on wishful thinking, and it's all around us. One day, not today, mind you, but one day, I'm going to want to do this. I'll feel like working, and that's when I'll work. The problem is, it doesn't happen that way. We are called to get up and to be workers. Because laziness, this being the sluggard, is sin. It is sin because it's selfishness. Now, I'm not talking about those of us who are going through hard times, who, who can't work, and we need, in, in a state of emergency, so to speak, and, and we need to be receiving at that point. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when we adopt a lifestyle of laziness and live off the efforts of others, take advantage of others, that should never be the lifestyle of a follower of Jesus Christ. Because we're called to be diligent, and it's being selfish in that way. Laziness is insensitivity. Persons who are habitually lazy don't even see the fact that people all around them are working hard. People all around them are pursuing the, 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 the tasks of life, and that insensitivity begins to breed ingratitude, and after a while, we don't even show any sense of being grateful for what we receive or the blessings that we have from others who are laboring. 
Laziness is fear. Dorothy Sayers says that the sin of pride attacks us at our strong points, causing us to boast. But the sin of laziness attacks us at our weak points, causing us to fear taking risks. I don't want to try. I might not succeed. I'm not extending myself. I'm not out there being vulnerable. And laziness is disobedience because God gives us direction and asks us to be disciplined to work. Our job as human beings representing the Lord is to press order into the world. That was Adam's job, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. The first thing they did, kind of picture it this way, was to press order into the world. And God was using them to do that. He wanted them to do that. He wants us to do it. It reminds me of a story of a pastor who visited a, a man who bought a farm. The farm had been neglected for a long time. He, he bought it at auction, and that farmer worked to kind of fix the place up, not only the fields and the farmhouse, but also beautiful gardens, beautiful vegetable gardens with, with lined-up vegetables and flower gardens. And the pastor came over to, to see, see his friend's place, and as they were walking through the gardens, the pastor kept saying, things like, oh my, isn't God's creation beautiful? Oh my, praise the Lord, look at all these beautiful flowers, these beautiful vegetables. And that went on and on and on. And finally, the farmer stopped him and said, listen, Reverend, I want you to imagine what it was like when God was working this place by himself. (laughs) We are part of what God is doing. We're pressing order into the world, and that's, that's our job. Parents, you have to teach your kids this. You have to teach them this early. Things like, how is that dish going to get back in the kitchen? How is that bed going to get made? How is this sock going to get into the laundry? Things like that. So they recognize that things don't just happen. If, the, if you don't press that into their life, they grow up insensitive and disobedient to the need for working. And the result of laziness was right here, verse 10. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a bandit, scarcity like an armed man. The result is loss, loss in many ways. God wants us to help provide for ourselves, but not only loss financially, but we become a burden to others. People who are lazy begin to think that other people owe them things. That if they're not successful in life, it's because somebody else made a mistake. It's somebody else's fault, and soon we're taking advantage of the people all around us. Or we damage our testimony. That always happens. The kind of lazy life that the sluggard models will damage your testimony for Jesus Christ. Paul dealt with this in the New Testament. It seems that the city of Thessalonica, the Christian uh, community that grew up there, had a problem with this very issue. They had, they had a, a group of folks, evidently, who had grown idle, who had grown lazy. And Paul writes to them in 1 Thessalonians 4, and he says this, Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, mind your own business, to work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders. And the key word there is Respect. The sluggard does not earn the respect of people who are observing them. And the things that they are connected to don't gain respect either. But our lifestyle, if we are diligent to the labor before us, if we are good workers the way God wants us to be, we earn respect, and that respect begins to rub off on the things we hold important. And that is Jesus Christ. The lifestyle of a believer, a proper lifestyle of work, 
leads to respect, but if we're sluggards, disdain will follow. Now, that's the negative example, but there's a positive example here in Proverbs 6 as well. Turn back to verse 6. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways. Be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provision in summer and gathers its food at harvest. The ant is the good example. The ant, first of all, is self-motivated. There is no commander there making them work. Now, scientists tell us, of course, that ants really do have a hierarchy and so forth, but this is not a science lesson. This is an observation. When you see ants working, you see them just going after it, just getting busy. No one's nagging them. There's no one coercing them. There's no, you know, boss ants along the line making them, you know, step in and go. They're all getting, for, getting after it. Self-motivated. My father drilled a line into me. If I heard this one time, I heard it a thousand times growing up, and that is this. Don't wait to be asked. If people are working around you and, and you can see a way that you can help, do not wait to be asked. Join in, jump forward, and work. Don't wait until the people notice that you're standing around doing nothing and asks you to help. Rather, join in. If you're a worker in a situation where you have a boss, that's what your boss is looking for. Don't wait to be asked. The ant is self-motivated. Secondly, the ant plans ahead. The ant recognizes there's seasons to the year. There is a time when we can gather the food, and there is a time that we can store it away because the season is coming. We have to plan ahead. Stephen Covey, in his book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, coined the term that we now uh, quote freely, and that is, highly effective people begin with the end in mind. In other words, I know where I'm going. I have a plan. I have a goal. I know where I am in relationship to that goal, and so I see a path forward. I'm not just running around putting out fires. I'm not just running around in circles, just filling the day. I'm not there at the job site and just doing nothing until the boss walks by and then, okay, look busy. You know, that's not it at all. Begin with the end in mind. Have a goal. The ant anticipates needs. The ant recognizes that there will be time when we will not be able to do this, and so we do this now. And the ant provides. The sluggard ended in scarcity, but the ant ends with a harvest. The implication is the need is met, the goal is accomplished, they've done what they need to do. Go to the ant. Now, we need to find a sweet spot here, because what I'm not advocating is that you live some, some sort of frantically overworked life. That's not what I'm advocating. I'm advocating a purposefulness about labor, but also a balance between enjoyable labor and refreshing rest. How do we find that sweet spot, that, that balance? Here's a few hints. Number one, understand your purpose. Just last week, we started the Divine Design Seminar for the next round, and it's a seminar where we look into how God has designed us. It's probably not too late to get, in, get involved if you want to go. But we ask questions in that seminar is, what, is my, what are my spiritual gifts? What is my personality style? What are my experiences? What are my, my talents? What are the passion areas in my life? These kind of questions of ourselves. And what we're doing throughout that entire process is we're putting a picture together and as this picture comes together, we end by asking the question, what does a person like that do joyfully? 
Now, the focus of that seminar is do joyfully for the Lord. What, what, how can I serve the Lord knowing how He's designed me? How can I serve Him with joy? But, you know, that applies to your job as well. What is a person like who I am? What kind of job do I do with joy? What do I get meaning from? Understanding your purpose is a part of it. The fact is every job has some element of drudgery. That's, that's, that's for sure. But there needs to be a center core. If, you're, if your career is connected to your divine design, you will have meaning there, and it helps find balance. Secondly, protect your honor. Once again, Paul repeatedly addresses this to the church in Thessalonica. In the second letter to Thessalonians, he repeats the same theme. He says this in 2 Thessalonians 3, For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you. Paul kept his honor intact because he demonstrated, along with Silas and Timothy there, uh, a life lived in diligence. They worked hard. They were planting a church. They didn't want to be a burden on these, on these believers, so they labored uh, as well. And that example is what he wants them to follow so that they too can protect their honor. Whatever you do for your work, protect your honor by giving it your all, being all in. And thirdly, discover how your work involves God. Every day when you get up and you go to work, God is with you. God is a part of that equation. Imagine if you're on your way to work and you know that what you're going to do at the job site is an extension of what God wants done in the world. Imagine that He's involved in your work and you see yourself serving God as you perform the responsibilities that you go to each and every day. And you do it with joy and you do it with excellence. And when you do it that way, God gets praised. God is involved. Let me, let me talk to the young people in the room for a moment. Because some of us here in this room are not working because we, have, we are full-time students. And everything I'm saying about work applies to your studies now, applies to your school. Because right now, your job is to be the best you can be at school, to learn the best you can, get that education, to allow yourself to follow the direction that God has for you for life. But all of us can apply these principles in one way or another. Because every job, in a sense, can be pictured as a triangle. On the top, you have a customer. On the side, you have an employer. The other side, employee. And right in the middle, God. And each of those people on the points of that triangle have a responsibility. Everybody has to help each other there. The employees have a responsibility to serve the customer well and the employers well through diligent labor. The employers have a responsibility to the customer and the employee to give a good product and have an appropriate compensation. The customer has a responsibility to be honest, to not steal and to receive the goods and services to keep the business going. Everybody in that triangle has a responsibility and work together. Keep that image in mind and know that God is in the center of that job that you do. And fourthly, to find that proper balance, develop a routine, a proper routine of work and rest. I once read this line. It said, the secret of your future is hidden in your daily routine. And I think that's absolutely true. It's hidden in your daily routine. Maybe there's some big change that's going to come down the line that will alter the course of your life, but usually it's just the daily routine, day after day, getting up, 
and doing what's expected, finding the balance, the routine of good sleep, of early to rise, tackle the hard jobs first, knowing your body rhythm so that you can do the certain things when you're best at doing them, and then the routine of a week that balances work with rest and Sabbath and worship. That routine will create your future. So back to the dwarves. Remember that little clip we showed you a moment ago? Maybe you didn't notice it, but they were going home from work. It's home from work we go, they were saying. At the end of the day, they were singing because they had worked well, and now they're going to go home and rest well. That was their routine. And in that routine, they found that they were able to find that balance of working wisely and resting well. That's everyday life that God cares about and gives us direction according to His Word. We are to take that direction and say yes. Let's pray together. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the chance to represent you, even in the way that we go to work and the attitudes we have. Lord, we pray that we are able to say yes to your commands and directions. Make, us, make of us diligent and joyful workers. Help us, Lord, to serve you well there. Provide for our needs and our families. And Lord, we pray that we are able to give you glory for that because the source of all of it is you, and we praise you. In your name we pray. Amen. The team is back to give us, uh, lead us in a closing song. Let's stand together as we sing. In order to give God all that we have, we just need to surrender. And this song is just simply titled, I Give Myself Away.
As always, after the service today, we have prayer counselors next to the organ by the prayer table. They will wait for you. Maybe there's an issue in your life, something you're going through, a question that you're working through. They would love to pray for you, to represent you to the Lord. You slip forward. They'll wait. But first, let's all pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you care about everyday life. So dismiss us with your blessing. In the week ahead, we will have opportunities to represent you well. Help us to take those opportunities and give you the glory. Thank you, Lord, for your love and your care resting on us, watching over us. And as we leave this place, we rejoice in all that we have in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for coming.